Welcome back, everyone, to Deniable Assets. We've been gone for a bit. Sorry for making you worry. Had to take care of a little business. Maybe you've heard. Well, I guess it's not technically finished, is it, Wolf? Look, can we not do this right now? Sure, Ome. We'll table that discussion for another time. Anyway, now that we're back to form and broadcasting to all of you on The Matrix, we wanted to come out with something special, so we decided that we continue one of our episodes. That's right. Today, we continue our series on organized crime. And the spotlight of today is on the ghost cartels of South America. Now, as a coyote, I've done my fair share of business moving things for the cartels. I won't say what, you can guess. Let me be clear, though. They do move things that I do refuse to touch. Well, you know what time it is, chums. To understand these people, let's take a trip back in history to the late 20th, before they became the ghost cartels. The cartels were born out of the anti-drug campaigns of the United States beginning in the late 70s. The war on drugs was meant to target groups like the Central and South American drug manufacturers. These groups would spend decades growing, collapsing, splintering off, and forming new cartels, which would repeat this process over and over. Sometimes, on extremely rare occasions, the cartel would collapse because of coordinated efforts by multinational law enforcement agencies. And this was not something that happened too terribly often. Around the 1980s, Colombia alone experienced an incredible spike in violence from cartel elements. By 1989, they had killed one presidential candidate, two prominent members of the political party, 200 judges, and seven members of the nation's Supreme Court. This is just one country. But incidents like this were not limited to Colombia. Nicaragua, Honduras, there was almost nowhere that was safe at that time. Hell, in most cases, it was better for your health if you just cooperated with these groups rather than oppose them. Despite the impassioned pleas of many a president and the continued efforts of law enforcement, the war on drugs was ultimately a failure. The cartels fought one another, carving out their own little kingdoms and killing people who opposed them. 2007 marks a day that brings many people to tears. This is when three of the largest cartels unified and formed as technology. Opti's got a whole episode on those guys over at the Neo-Anarchist Podcast. You should check it out. As the years ticked by, many of the smaller organizations that helped in the creation of the entity that is today as technology were pushed out of the drug trade by Julio Ramos, the head of the David Cartel. Those that chose to go against Mr. Ramos found themselves fleeing from their homes and countries, basically becoming ghosts, hence ghost cartels. Now, to give you the rundown of some of the major players of these ghost cartels, First up, we have the Andes Cartel, based out of Ecuador. This cartel operates primarily in Peru, Southern Amazonia, Argentina, and Caracas. The former head of the Andes Cartel is Manuel Tamayo. I say former because he was geeked out in Los Angeles. But this man had an undying hatred for Aztecnology, probably because they killed his wife, kids, and parents. And this hatred influenced Andy's attitude toward the Aztecs. But with his death, the reins of the cartel seem to have passed to Maria Teresa Tamayo, his cousin. Now, Maria is the poster child of what a cartel boss is thought to be. Maria has no problem killing those who disagree with her. 
Those who wind up on her bad side are usually found without hands, feet, and heads, if they are found at all. She is notoriously hard to kill, having dodged or just flat out refused to die in several assassination attempts. But if all that wasn't enough, she's also nearly impossible to touch since she sits on the Senate of Amazonia. If Miss Tamaya is the stereotypical cartel boss, then the Andes cartel is a stereotypical cartel. They have their biggest stake in natural narcotics like cocaine, but rumor has it they may also be dabbling in another hot little item, Tempo. They are the largest producers of cocaine in the world, with profits I've heard reaching nearly somewhere around 100 million per month. They have also invested heavily into awakened drugs like Overdrive and Trance. The next cartel, the Morales Cartel, based out of Paraguay, was headed by Oscar Calente. I use the past tense because, like Manuel Tamayo, he was killed in LA as well. To the best of my knowledge, there is still no figurehead of this cartel. But that doesn't really mean much since they don't need a figurehead to continue to function. Morales operates like a corp. They have a board of directors which, as I said earlier, was headed by Calente. The details of how they function are kinda hazy, but the most consistent rumors I've heard puts them about five to seven board members. Each member of the board is responsible for grooming their own replacement. They keep a stable of promising candidates at the ready should their deaths occur. Once a member dies, the remaining board members vote for the most likely candidate to fill the now vacant seat. But their corporate attitude doesn't end there. It permeates their entire organization, from the very top to the very bottom. The cartel is broken up into divisions, which have their own bosses and matching hierarchies. So you'd think, with this corporate mentality, that the Morales cartel would be very hands-off with their internal works. The opposite is true. They take a personal approach to management and encourage their employees to do the same. Morales' pay scale is based purely on commission. The bosses set production and sales quotas and the divisions are expected to meet them. But this is a criminal enterprise we're talking about, so it's never a good idea to fail your quota. As a general rule, most of the ghost cartels are on good terms with Amazonia since the source of their exile now runs the nation most at odds with the South American state. The phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, tends to be very popular here. Morales is the exception to this rule. While I haven't heard that they are in direct conflict with any powers that be in Amazonia, Morales doesn't try to be friends. Instead, they've decided to back the neo-communist government of Bolivia, and in my opinion, they've turned the country into a narco-state. Cartel-backed politicians always win the elections. The military is always well-funded and supplied, and the drug trade supplies it all. And thanks to their funding, La Paz, Bolivia is now the pharmaceutical capital of the continent. But this brings them into direct competition with our next cartel. Yes, the Cachoeira Cartel is the direct competitor of Morales. To make matters worse, they are also based out of Paraguay. Though they have kept their interests out of Bolivia, they have moved operations into Amazonia, Uruguay, and Argentina. Where they compete with Morales is in the pharmaceutical business. 
They have invested heavily in many pharmaceutical chains around the world, and a good portion of their profits come from that and other high-tech sectors of the market. Cachoeira is a very magic-heavy cartel, more so than the others. The narcotics they deal in are awakened drugs, like deep weed and others. But they also deal in gun running and people smuggling, which can get very dicey given your moral compass. Now last up, we have a group that's really a shadow of their former selves. Guess that's what happens when you play with fire and almost get an Omega order slapped on your forehead. Based in Ecuador and hiding behind the corporate front of Condorchid is the Olaya Cartel, run by Jaime Salazar. Now, the Olaya Cartel is the picture of what happens when somebody flies a bit too close to the sun without thinking about sunscreen. The tempo craze a few years ago, that was apparently all Olaya's doing. Using Condorchid's vast network of shipping companies, Olaya was able to ship the product worldwide. But doing this caught the attention of Interpol, and with the help of Aztechnology, hint hint, Condorchid was raided and nearly hit with an Omega order by the corporate court. Evidence of their dealings with the tempo trade were seized, and everything looked bad for old Jaime, until rumor that he cut a deal with Aztechnology. Couldn't have told me I was pronouncing it wrong. Nah, I just wanted to let you find out on your own. Well, that rumor was apparently more than just a rumor. Cond Orchid is still around, and Salazar has been spotted in Bogota. Ah, good. Another conspiracy. Because I love fuming about things I can't change. Look, whatever, dude. Elias still does some of its natural narcotic business, though it has obviously slowed down. They continue to operate the flesh trade, and their legit transportation business is doing well enough despite the damage to its image after the raid. Salazar does appear to be alive, and whatever he did to escape getting axed is a matter of many a nerd-rage-fueled debate on the conspiracy forums. But whatever he did, the other cartels are taking note. True, it would probably be better for all of them if Salazar was removed from the picture altogether. Their profits would increase, and there would be one less person to worry about stabbing you in the back. But it appears for now they're honoring some long-held tradition and just letting him eke out the rest of his days in mediocrity. That's just some information about the ghost cartels of South America. They're a dangerous bunch with a whole lot of money to blow. They deal in weapons, drugs, human trafficking, and the sex trade. They also hide these underhanded dealings behind legitimate fronts, like pharmaceutical companies or transportation giants. Some also have connections to the very governments of Amazonia, and one can even say they are the nation of Bolivia. To conclude this episode, chums, a word of warning. Don't cross these people. If you want to work for them, fine. You do that. The rewards and consequences are all on you. If you enjoy their product, hey man, good for you. Just be careful. We could easily go into more detail, like the slaughter in Los Angeles, but an event like that was so heavily publicized when it happened, we'd only be parroting the information you already know. But with that, this episode comes to a close. I'm Mr. Clean. And I'm Wolf. And this has been Deniable Assets. Good night, and good running, chummers.
The music for Deniable Assets is written and performed by Johnny DeClaire and the Meltdowns. Support Deniable Assets team by donating to our Patreon. Email us at realdeniableassets at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook at the Deniable Assets page.